out in front of us I know will surely come when that eastern sky will open wide revealing God's dear Son and I know from here to heaven is but a twinkling of an eye and in the midst of all his glory we hear the sweetest cry welcome home i knew you'd come welcome home you're here for good look around was it worth the wait welcome step through the gate now i believe at least for me that i'll see my mom and dad my brothers and my sisters everywhere we look our friends oh the greetings will be precious with loved ones so dear no mortal man has ever heard what the likes of we will hear. Welcome home. I knew you'd come. Welcome home. You're here for good. Look was it worth the wait welcome home step through the gate welcome home i knew you'd come welcome home you're here for good look Was it worth the wait? Welcome home. Step through the Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Amos chapter number 7. Amos chapter number 7. And, uh, you know, before we get started, there's kind of something that's really important happening today. I mean, it's a big deal. Big deal. That is that it's Bentley, Kennedy. Where is he at? Oh, stand up, buddy. Stand up all the way up there. Where are you? Come on, stand up. There he is. It's his birthday today. He's 11 years old, and he wants the world to know. All right. <laughs> I 
So there you go. He actually didn't want the world to know, but now they do. All right? So there you go. I did have a couple of prayer requests, but uh, I was, my mind was elsewhere as we got started. And we've been praying for, uh, for Brittany and for the whole family uh, and for Donnie and Sonia. But today, uh, Sonia got some terrible news that her, uh, it would be her brother-in-law, had passed away. And it was pretty tragic and very sudden. So they are dealing with all of those things. So on top of everything that's going on, those things are going on as well. So I know that they will greatly uh, covet your prayers and be praying for them and lifting them up. And maybe if the Lord would lead you, you could just give them a shout uh, and be uh, praying for them. All right, Amos chapter number 7. I want to read the whole chapter. Uh, I would like to do that tonight. And um, there's been a couple of things that I want to do with the book of Amos. And I thought that I would just preach chapters 7, 8, and 9 all together. I had all that together. And then today, uh, really literally today, I was, the Lord was just like, wouldn't leave me alone. And, uh, and so we're going to preach chapter 7, what we're going to do. Uh, and we'll look at a couple of things in there. So if you found Amos chapter 7, stand with me. Let's read those verses together. Let's remember that as we come to chapter 7, these are Amos's visions. These are his visions that he has, and he declares them uh, to, the, to the land of Israel. So let's see these. Verse number 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. And the Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, the Lord called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And the Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee 
Go, flee thy way into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. And thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to open up the Word of God, to look in it. Dear Lord, you know that we need your help. We know that tonight you have what we need. Uh, there's no doubt that it is of you that we need the Word of God to speak to us. We pray that tonight, dear God, will we open up our hearts once again to let the word of God sink in. Amos is speaking to us uh, very clearly, very plainly. I pray, dear God, that we would be willing to let God's word do the work in our heart that needs to be done. I pray that you just use it in a great way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just do something, and hopefully you'll bear with me as I do it. Uh, but I want just to go through, uh, as it were, this in this narrative form. Here we see, as we enter into chapter number 7, that uh, Amos has a vision. He has a dream, and he has a vision of grasshoppers that are coming and consuming God's land and God's people and devouring everything that they have. And Amos contends for them. As a matter of fact, when you see that and read that, you might even remember some of the words that were spoken of by Moses as he said to God, God, uh, don't kill your people. And the Bible would say that it repented God and he didn't uh, do that thing to his people that he would said. And here we have another likeness of that, that Amos sees the destruction that's going to come and he says, God, please, how can they bear that? How will they be able to last? Don't let that happen. And the Bible says that he repented of it. He sees, number one, the grasshoppers. Number two, he sees the fire that's about to come. And he says, how can they withstand it? For Israel, for they are small. They won't be able to do this. Uh, there is lots of symbolism that you could go into. And there's lots of different things that you could talk about from this text but that's not what I want to do tonight. The simple thing that I just want to point out as we go to this text and look at this text and notice it is, don't you believe that it's wonderful to have somebody pleading to God on your behalf? Boy, what a privilege that is, that there would be somebody that there would be somebody that would call out your name in prayer. And maybe they see what's going on in your life. And, uh, and maybe they can see the trouble that would be down the road. Uh, I've been the youth pastor here for a long time. And 
uh, and, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, uh, and you can watch these young people, uh, and you can see that they're making some of the same mistakes you made, right? And you tell them, tell you you're blue in the face, right? And you try to tell them a million different ways. But what's going to be the only way they learn that lesson? Experience, right? You don't want them to learn it the hard way. But for a lot of them, that's going to be the only way that they're going to learn it. But thank God they still have some moms and dads and people praying for them and looking out for them and saying, God, I can see what's coming down the road for them, but in spite of them, have mercy on them. And isn't it good that God has that? And as we can see, there's times, as a matter of fact, even though, even though we know destruction is coming for the land of Israel, there's still a period before that comes when there, I'm sure that there would have been that, those that would listen to the word of Amos and would repent, and you'll see that towards the end of it. And so it's wonderful to know that there are those that would call on that. As Amos is having these visions and calling upon God, then he sees a third vision that's an unusual vision. It's a vision that the Bible says that, it is, that the Lord is standing on the wall and he has the plumb line. And I'm not, a, I'm not a mason and I'm not a carpenter and I'm not any of those things, but I do know what a plumb line is. And we understand that that string that you tie on there and you drop it and boom, there you have a nice straight edge to hold your wall by. Not difficult to understand what God is saying to Amos. He's saying, listen, my standard, and this is really good if you go into a lot of this stuff, God's standard is the same, and it doesn't change. Amen. A big amen goes right there. Okay? I know that lots of people want to add to God's standard, but the standard is the Word of God. Amen? Thus saith the Word of God, we are not to add to or to take away. Either one of those is a problem. When we add to it, we've got issues when we take away. And his standard stays straight. I love this depiction that he places because with the plumb line, how does his standard stay straight? By the forces of nature itself. It is gravity that makes that plumb line straight. Amen? And boy, you could really go and go down that line and chase that and look at the matter of fact that nature does not contradict our God. As a matter of fact, the more natural it is, the more it is of God. We are the ones that deny nature, that deny what should be done and deny God's word and go against nature and offend a holy God. But God in himself is moving inside of the laws that he created himself. And they are steadfast. Amen? And they do not move. As a matter of fact, the only time they move is when God himself gets involved. Amen? When Jesus Christ steps and in, comes into our space, he can do whatever he wants. Amen? And there was times that he did it. Did he not? There was times that he said to the winds and the waves, be still. There were times when God let the let the sun not move out of the sky for a space of time. 
God can do with those whatever he pleases. But as it abides to me and you, the line is set. And it's straight and it does not move. I think it is very interesting as well that he uses that because it also makes it visible of how crooked we are. It lets us see by, with our own eyes just how far off we fall from where he is. And so as Amos shows them and is telling them of, this, uh, of the problems and telling them of the plumb line, we see that this is in verse number 10, that this priest, and this is kind of what I want to talk about when I get there, after I get done introducing it, which is a long time, which is really just the narrative of it. We see that this priest from Bethel, that he has a, a response and he has a problem with the prophecy of Amos. And I don't think that it's by coincidence that when he shows him the, the vision of the plumb line is when he starts to have a problem. That's when he starts to see, oh my, uh, uh, listen, stop, just stop talking. And that's what he says to him. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam. First he sends to Jeroboam, the king, so he tells on him, right? And he says, listen, Israel, uh, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. And here's the words that I want you to notice. The land is not able to bear all his words. Boy, I found that as a striking just word for us today. The world is not able to bear the word of God. They do not want it. They do not want that. You can talk about all kinds of things. You can talk about Jesus being a good man. You can talk about him being a good teacher. But when you said, thus saith that he's the son of God, thus saith the word of the Lord, here's what God's word said, and here's the biggest one that they have a problem with, just like in the book of Amos, is when you say, here is the standard. That's when they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want that standard. As a matter of fact, we don't want any standard, right? At first, they used to move it, right? It was like, well, let's get this way, let's get down. And now there is no standard. There is no truth, right? It's relative to them. It's relative. That doesn't jive, right? That doesn't make sense. Truth is truth. The word of God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. These things are true. We understand them from the word of God. We see them from the word of God. The plumb line has been set on what truth is. And it's God's word and it's Jesus Christ. And they do not want that standard. And when they see it brought to them, it's a tough standard, isn't it? We get that. We understand that. We see that. We understand that when we preach and when we bring up the word of God that all have sinned and come short of the uh, come short of the glory of God. That there is no one that's righteous, no, not one. So when we bring the standard, no one measures up to it. And because of that, the world doesn't want it. They want to do away with it. And we see that. And so they're not able to bear the word of God that Amos is bring, bringing. 
And so for this reason, uh, in verse number 12, he says to him, Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee, thee away into the land of Judah. In other words, he says, go home. Go home, Amos. All right? And there eat bread. And there prophesy there. He's saying quite a few things. He said, but don't prophesy against, not again, anymore at Bethel. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. And then we have Amos's response. And Amos talks about who he is a little bit. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm not really anybody. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not, uh, I'm not a prophet. And he uses this phrase, I'm not the son of a prophet. What he's saying is, is I'm not even looking for this as a profession. This is not what I'm trying to do to to get money or to get anybody stirred up. I'm just simply doing what God has asked me to do. And because you cannot bear the word of the Lord, let it be known to you most assuredly that your house will fall and destruction will come to it and Israel will come to it. If they will not, listen, if they will not hear the word of the Lord. Will not hear the word of the Lord. So, with all of that being said about what we have, all I want to do just for a few moments is I want us to take a look at, and I wrote this in my notes. This is how my title went. I want us to look at God's man with a capital G. And that's why I emphasize that God's man. And then I want us to look at God's man with a little G. We've got Amos in here and we have Amaziah in here. Two men, both with titles that would give them some sort of, uh, of place with God, as it were. One is a priest and one is a prophet. And what's the difference between them? And not only that, in our life and in our, as we are, as people are moving into what we're doing, do we recognize the difference between a real man of God and someone who's just pretending to be God's man? Is that something that we ourselves can see? And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at those real quick. And some of them, I've already mentioned them, and so we'll be recapping to them as we go, but we'll go through them real quick. The first one that I want you to notice is that God's man, that's how you know which one I'm talking about, right? You got that, right? God's man and God's man, right? So you got the big G and the little G now, right? Right? So God's man contends for God's people. God's man contends for God's people. In verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 that we looked at there, when he saw the destruction that was coming to Israel, he said, God, would you plead? Uh, would you please? Uh, uh, there's no way that they can bear that. There's no way that they can do that. And all throughout the word of God, we have seen that the prophets have pleaded for God's people and they have cared for God's people and I want you to think about this because the vision or the the image that we have of the prophet of God is the guy that comes out and he's like y'all better get right or this place is gonna burn and we almost and we're gonna get there eventually think that they're all like Jonah who's sitting over there and go burn them God burn them right as you remember we're gonna get there when there was a big revival in Nineveh, what happened to Jonah? He got mad. We're going to get there eventually, and I'm not trying to jump. But there's plenty of prophets who was like Moses and said, Lord, please, save your people. 
they can't take this. This is too much. Lord, would you do a work and save some people? And God's man, he contends for his people. But God's man, are you ready for this? God's man, he wants the prophecy to stop. He wants to say, he wants to be more comfortable now than more comfortable later. Get that? He wants the prophecy to stop because he's hearing God's word and he's hearing what it's saying about the way that you're living and he sees the image of the plumb line and says, we're not meeting the standard. And he says, why don't you quit talking about the standard? So God's man says, let's just not preach that part of the word of God. Let's not talk about that, right? That part's going to be difficult for some people. That part is going to be, that's going to be offensive to some people. Welcome to the Bible, man. Guess what? It's offensive sometimes. And especially if you're still in the flesh, it's really offensive. Really offensive. And instead of saying, no, God, stop. We might want to be more like, Lord, help us, save us. Number one. Amos contends for the people. Number two, and again, we've already got some of these. God's man reveals the standard. God's man stands up and he says, here it is, plain as could be, from the word of God. He doesn't hide the standard in, 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 in pictures. And, and this is important to me. I want to be a, a part in... You guys know what we're doing here and everything we're doing. I want to be a part of good preaching. I want preaching uh, uh, to have all of those things. But what's more important to me is that we come to the Word of God and we are clear about what it says. You know what? The other thing that's challenging me right now about it is that when we get done preaching a message, there should be a clear invitation for people to make a decision for Christ. It might, all, might not always be on salvation, right? We might be here on a Wednesday night preaching to the church and are like we did on Sunday night and say, hey, some of you got issues with idols, right? And being okay with saying, are you going to get those idols out of your life, right? It's okay <laughs> to bring the word of God and bring us to a decision on what the Word of God says. I've even had some of my friends that preach criticized because they're like, well, their invitation's too specific. Actually, I think that's probably the best invitation, right? Sometimes I think I'm probably a little too more general about it. Maybe I need to get more specific. Maybe I need to be here where it is and say, here is the standard according to the word of God. And instead of trying to make sure that, that I've got something in there that will intrigue you intellectually or, or make you think about something that you haven't thought about before, it's probably a good idea when we come to passages, especially like the ones we just dealt with, with idolatry, where we simply go back to the book of Exodus and say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. How are you doing with that this week? Right? And say, maybe we need more time around the altar asking you how you're doing with that than necessarily you need to listen to me. 
and let the Holy Ghost do that work. And so he reveals the standard. But God's man, the world's man, he hides the standard because he can't bear it. He doesn't, he, he's looking for us to put it away. He is definitely looking for it to be hid away in wonderful little, you know, talks and things that would sound good uh, and all of those type of things. Here we go. I got to keep moving. Number three, God's man reports to God. But God's man, he reports to men. I'm going to tell you what. We started to learn a lot about the priest at Bethel when it came to verse number 10. And there was a problem, and who did he call? Jeroboam. He called Jeroboam. He said, hey, Jeroboam, we got a problem down here. There's somebody down here, and he is uh, he's prophesying against you, and he's prophesying against everything that's going on. When what should have happened in Jeroboam's life is the same thing that would happen in Amos's life because Amos said, look, I was just a nobody down there feeding sheep and taking care of sycamore trees. That's what I was doing. I was collecting the fruit, but God called me and I didn't go report to somebody else. I said, okay, God, I'm going where you'll send me. I'm going up to Israel. I don't know them. I don't know what all the deal is, but I'm going straight up there. But Jeroboam turned around, and, or but uh, Amaziah turned around and said, Jeroboam, we got a problem down here. Matter of fact, the other thing that really bothered me about this is in verse number 13. He says, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. Notice what he said. For it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. <clears throat> right? Wrong. Do you know what Bethel is? Bethel is the house of God. Bethel is a place that was a special place. If you want to go back and do some searching on Bethel, Bethel is the place where Jacob saw the, the, the ladder or whatever you want to call it, stairs or however you want to put it, that was going up and down to heaven. And he saw the Son of Man descending up and down. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is going to say later, hey, that, I, that's me. I'm the, I'm the way. I'm that staircase back and forth. But Bethel is a place where Jacob said, this is God's house. This is where God is. It's a special place. It's his house, not the king's house. They got it all wrong. They got it all wrong. You know what I thought about when I was looking at this? And again, preaching at me. Thanks a lot, Amos, right? Oh, man, thanks a lot. Whenever I come across something, now think about this. Whenever you come across something in the Word of God, maybe it's not making sense to you, or maybe it's a struggle for you, or maybe you have to think to yourself, no way that, because it's, you know, convicting you, and you're like, there's got to be another reason, right? But even when I'm studying, I got convicted because I could think of very quickly three or four men that I look to, to try to help me reveal that word of God to me. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm going to go to a commentary, or I'm going to try to find a, let's be honest, I'm going to try to find a sermon from Spurgeon that he preached on the chapter that I'm, I'm struggling with, right? 
Come on, some of y'all are shaking your head if you're studying your Bible the way that you should. Or maybe you go to John MacArthur and you say, hey, how's he going to help me out with this? Maybe you go to uh, Matthew Henry and you go and pull out his commentary and say, help me with this. But you know what might be a better idea? Is to stop and pray and ask the God who wrote the book to show you what he wants to give you out of his book. To meditate and pray. Because it's not John MacArthur's Bible, and it's not Matthew Henry's Bible, amen? And it's not Charles Spurgeon's Bible. And it is definitely not Pastor Moore's Bible, either one of us, amen? It is his word, and it's his house that we've come to worship. His word and his house. When we come to it, who are we reporting to, amen? When we come to it, we report to the king of kings. Amen. Then, so he reports to God. Uh, and then I want to look at this. I, I got one more and then I'll, I'll be done. I, I want to wrap this up tonight. When I look at God's man tonight, he was used in his humble state. I love this and I told this from the very beginning. Uh, and, and I don't know exactly how the Lord, the Lord's dealing with me about going back and looking at quite a few verses in here uh, that, uh, that, that we need to probably preach. And one of them is in chapter 3, verse number 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? i tell you what, that's a big little verse in the Bible. Uh, and maybe we'll do that. But one of the things that struck me so much about Amos is the description that we get of him as we find it in verse number uh, 14. And he said, I was no prophet, neither was I the son of the prophet, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He's like, listen, I'm a farmer and I'm a shepherd. And I'm not anybody, but God called me. And the other phrase that I love about this out of his simple everyday life that we looked at not too long ago when we looked at some of these things. And he said, and the Lord took me as I followed flock as I did my job and I did it day in and day out and was faithful it was in that process that God took me and man I think that there's something in that I think that there is something that comes with being a shepherd that is is unique we know this from the word of God we understand that so many that David and Abraham these men were shepherds and we understand when we read about the life of David and then we understand when we come to Jesus that it's not an accident that Jesus said I am the good shepherd because inside of that line of work they were gonna find out a lot about the nature of people and their relationship to God as that worked between a shepherd and the sheep, right? You get that, right? Right. All we like sheep have gone astray, right? We have wandered. And he told us that. And so the shepherd, when he hears that, he's like, that's what they do, all right. And so his heart is moved when he looks at the children of Israel. They've wandered far from God. He knows that He's had lambs do that all the time. And it takes time to go and get them. But he goes and gets them because they're special to him. Because they mean a lot. He goes and gets them. 
and he has this understanding. He said, and it was through the course of my everyday job of being faithful in that work that God followed me, found me, pulled me out of that so that I would do this work. He said, I was just a farmer as well. I was going out, and again, it's the same kind of thing. There's anything that we know about the word of God is it tells us that we are like fruit as well. That there's some of us that are good fruit and there's some that's bad fruit. And you remember Jesus went and picked up those fig, went to that fig tree that had flowers and should have had fruit. And he was pretty upset when it didn't. You remember that story? Yeah, there you go. Right before we get to the crucifixion, as Jesus is getting ready to go into Jerusalem, he comes up to that fig tree and it's flowering as if it would had fruit. And the Bible said he was hungry. And when he got up to the tree, it had no fruit. And what did he do? He cursed it. He cursed it. So if there's two things that the Lord knows about, it's fruit and being a shepherd. Fruit and sheep. And here we have him being faithful working every day in the little things and in the small things. And God says, I can use you. There's that thing again. He's faithful in little. I'll make him a ruler of many, right? And here he comes and he says, listen, I didn't have anything big. It was just the Lord using me. I was just doing my thing, but God. And here we have Amaziah over here. He's the priest in Bethel. Apparently he's got a a way to get a hold of the king just like that just with a letter he can write to the king but yet he's so far off of the ways of God that he doesn't even know listen he doesn't even know when God is speaking because instead of repenting instead of going uh, Amos say that again because we got problems down here at Bethel no he says stop stop what you are doing and here's the thing as we finish this Will we let the simple things of life teach us the deep lessons of God? I think they're found in that. In everyday life that we live, in relationships with our sons and daughters and our wives and our friends, that we see the deep things of life being taught to us, are we listening? A simple farmer comes and shares the word of God Thus saith the word of the Lord. And will we listen? Will we listen in our own life? When the simple things speak of deep things. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Daryl, come around tonight. Just give us a song real quick. I hope that the word of God has spoke to your heart tonight as we think about the simple truth. Here's the simple truth that echoes throughout all of word of God will we repent will we hear the word of the Lord in our heart in our life will we repent or will we continue in the way that seems right to a man but the ends thereof are the ways of death help us dear God to do the work that you would have us do inside our hearts so that we may be faithful for you outside. Help us to be faithful. Lord, I love this in your word. Help us to be faithful in the little things. And dear God, help us to be happy in the little things. Paul said, for whatsoever state I am, I'm content, happy with you, serving in those small things. 
and then finding the deep in them. What an amazing God you are. Dear Heavenly Father, help us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing. Oh, deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that